It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's rock a mic And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on the rock show Welcome to another fantastic episode of The Rock Show. This is episode 145. We got five more before we reach 150 shows. And today we're talking about an iconic, a legendary band, The Beach Boys. Yeah, Beach Boys. How you doing, Rob? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing this morning, Mike? I'm doing good, doing good. Um, yeah, the Beach Boys. Now we're gonna cover here the basically the, the, the 1960s era. Okay. Uh technically the band still exists. They they never really broke up. Uh they've come back in different forms, different lineups over the years. But this is the the original, the capital record years, um, up to nineteen sixty-nine. And it's it's really a fascinating uh road that they were on. Um, a lot of ups and downs. One thing that, that, you know, I don't know how people feel about the Beach Boys today. If you're like a young person and you're just getting into music and you hear about them, maybe they sound a little dated. I, I, I don't know. But I just think that uh, there was a period around 65, 66 where they were doing very innovative stuff uh, comparable to what the Beatles were doing. Um, the Pet Sounds album is one of the greatest albums ever made. Uh, definitely one of the greatest albums of the 60s. Um, there was also a period, uh, like right before that, where they had an album called Beach Boys Today, and then the next album was Pet Sounds. And those two were kind of like the American Revolver and the American Sgt. Pepper, okay? Very influential. Uh, the Beach Boys influenced the Beatles. They influenced each other. Uh, Beach Boys were around a little bit before the Beatles. Um, but... Brian Wilson, I mean, what can you say? The guy's a musical genius. He was a child prodigy, basically. They all, they all were. They all started playing instruments when they were 11, 12 years old. Okay. And um, I think that people His have to realize. His daughter was in a band, right? What's that? His daughter was a singer, right? Uh, no, it's not Brian's. Uh, what, that Wilson Phillips? Yeah. The one that yeah, Phillips. no, that, that's... Um, I don't know if it's Dennis. It might be Dennis or or one of the others. It, it wasn't Bob. I think it's Dennis. I think it's yeah. Dennis. Den yeah, Dennis passed then. away. Dennis passed away. Okay, but uh, yeah, I mean they, they went on. They had a you know pop pop music career. Um, and one you thing too that they I went I, on Full House. Did they? I, I I didn't watch that show that much. You know yeah. why? Because Uncle Joey was a member of the of the Beach Boys. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, it kind of gets a little bit lost in, in the history, like how, how big the Beach Boys really were, okay? Um, number one artists, smash hits, all many in a row. Um, then the Beatles came along, okay? And they were kind of like, and the Stones and the Kinks and the, the, the whole British invasion. And they, you know, were in competition with them and Brian Wilson would, you know, he, he basically 
became almost like non-functional. He had a lot of problems by the end of the 60s. Uh, there was a lot of drugs, a lot of uh, paranoia, a lot of mental issues. I think they, you know, and one thing, too, that, you know, we're all about getting lumped up on the show, but these guys got lumped up, okay, especially by the 70s. These guys were, like, deep into a lot of drugs and stuff like that. But we're going to end today's show in the 60s, and I think, you know, doing my research, I'd like to kind of go back and cover the later periods with them. Maybe next year we'll do something like that because it's yeah. really kind of interesting. Um, they, they were very influential, like I said, to the Beatles, um, to a lot of bands in the 60s, the Birds. Anybody that had any kind of harmonies in their music were looking at what the Beach Boys were doing. And uh, also the punk scene. The punk scene. The Ramones were tremendous Beach Boys fans. Okay? And we all know the Ramones kicked off punk rock. So it, it really kind of like you have to look at the Beach Boys as an important band, you know. You know what it is about um because um Brian Wilson went to become a fantastic producer. He produced so many people, he's like a musical genius almost. He's like absolutely, Phil absolutely. Spector and yeah. all those other people. Yeah, so, I mean he, he, like, he learned um, from Phil Spector. Oh yeah. It's almost yeah. like the guys from Aber. The guys from Aber became tremendous songwriters for other bands. They wrote songs yeah. for almost everybody. It's shock how many yeah. yeah. songs That's they true. wrote. That's true. All right, so getting into it, um, at the time of Brian Wilson's 16th birthday, which was June 20th, 1958, uh, he was already showing signs of being a musical genius. Um, he shared a room in his house, in his parents' house, with his brother Dennis and, and his brother Carl, okay? Uh, they were 13 and 11 years old. They resided with their parents in Hawthorne, California. Now, Brian had watched his father, Murray Wilson, play piano and uh, was avidly listening to a lot of the vocal harmony groups of the 1950s. Groups like the Four Freshmen, uh, the Platters, you know, bands like that, um, that had a lot of harmony, doo-wop kind of stuff, uh, everything that was big at that time. Now, for his birthday that year, he received a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder from his parents. And um, he learned how to overdub as a, as a young kid. He learned how to work this reel-to-reel -reel and make overdubs. Now, what he would do is he would use his vocals and then call Wilson's vocals and his mother's vocals. His mother could sing very well. Uh, Brian had taught himself how to play piano. Uh, Carl and next door neighbor David Marks, um, who was 11 years old at the time, could play guitar. Okay. And they had gotten guitars for their past Christmas and they all taught themselves how to play. Now, Brian and Carl also were avidly listening to a DJ named Johnny Otis that was on KFX, KFOX, KFOX in Southern California. Um, Johnny Otis, his show used to consist of a lot of R&B at the time. And uh, Brian was becoming very, very influenced by that. Um, he also started writing his own songs around that time. Okay. Keep in mind, he's like 16 years old. Yeah, um, but he was smart. He was very. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's, he was like a child prodigy. Um, their cousin, Mike Love soon joined the Wilsons in their jamming sessions. They would have sessions at the Wilsons house. Um, soon, Brian Wilson, Mike Love, Dennis and Carl Wilson, and a classmate named Al Jardine 
formed a band called the Pendletones. You with me? And this is pretty much the formation of the Beach Boy. Exactly, exactly. Can you see me okay? Yeah, you're moving. All right. Now, I just had a little little technical issue there. Okay. Or maybe the internet went down. No, no, no. I think it. another screen popped up. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. so they 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 formed um the Pendletones, okay, and that was a play on words. Uh, a Pendleton was a woolen shirt in those days that was in style, and a lot of the surfer kids wore it. It was like a sweater, okay, and they just called themselves the Pendletones. It was all part of Southern California culture in in the late fifties, early sixties. Now Dennis Wilson was the only real surfer in the group okay uh and he suggested that they kind of write songs about that yeah, surfing about lifestyle right the surfing lifestyle uh hot rods beach you know hanging out at the beach hanging out in the sun you know whatever and um an early song that brian wrote in that genre was called surfing and then he also wrote surfing safari right after that it was like his first two songs he wrote in that in that genre uh he wrote them with mike love they wrote them together now their dad who was murray wilson was a part-time songwriter and had a publicist publicist named height morgan okay and morgan heard what the new pendletones had written and he insisted that they record right away he loved what he heard wow so on september right so on september 15th 1961 Okay, Brian was like 19. Okay, the band recorded a demo of the song Surfing with Morgan. Okay, and then they would do a more professional recording the next month on October 3rd at World Pacific Studios in Hollywood. Now, David Marks was not present at this recording because he was in school that day. But Murray brought the demo down to Herb Newman, owner of Cardix Records, I'm sorry, Candix, Candix, excuse me, Candix Records, and he also owned a, a record company called Era Records, yeah, Candix, Era. Candix and Era. Now, he signed the group on December 8th, 1961, uh, and then the first single would be released a few weeks later. Uh, the Pendletons, Pendletons found out that they were renamed the Beach Boys when that single came out. Okay, they had no say in it, uh, but what happened was Candix Records wanted to name them the Surfers, but a guy named Russ Regan, who was a young promoter at Era Records, said that there was already a band called the Surfers, so he suggested the Beach Boys. He's the one that that came up with the name, and it was all unbeknownst to the band. Okay, but Surfing was a regional hit on the west coast and also peaked at number 75 nationally on billboard so not bad for wow. a first time yeah not bad uh and the single was so successful that it actually bankrupted the company wow <laughs> yeah Can candix records was no more after that because they couldn't keep up with the demand and they ended up folding okay how is that possible well uh, you know i guess when when you're pressing a record, you, you you have to you have to pay out to do that, right? So if there's a huge demand and you can't keep up, what you might do is 
say, okay, I'll pay you, and then just not do it, okay? And then now you you lose the company in the process, okay? Wow. You know, so by the time the de facto manager of the Beach Boys, which was Murray, okay, he was kind of like the unofficial manager, he got the group their first paying gig. And it was at the Richie Valens Memorial Dance in Long Beach. The date was New Year's Eve, 1961. And the Beach Boys received $300 for that gig. Is that now, a lot of money? It was probably, if you if you put it into today's numbers, it's got to be over 1000 Yeah, but it's like, that's like no. a nice pay, but that's like a nice paying gig where you think it's about $300. It's, it's nice for a bunch of teenagers, okay? You know, in your first gig. Okay, three hundred dollars went a long way in those days, but um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's like a pretty good paying gig for yeah. an unknown band. Yeah, I mean, I think well, they weren't unknown. They 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 had the single was was just coming out. Yeah, you're right. They were probably more unknown, but yeah. uh, you know, definitely. I mean, he Murray Murray fought for the Be the Beach Boys. He fought for uh, his kids. Um, th they wouldn't have been where they were without him. Wow. Okay. The guy, the guy was kind of, um, he, he, I think he had wanted to have a career, didn't, you know, and had a family and all that stuff. So he kind of lived through them, I think, a little bit. Stuff that I've read, you know. Yeah, that's um, what it sounds like, especially with him helping them like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, and they trusted him. It was, his, you know, he was their dad, you know, so he trusted. They trusted him. So, um, at this first gig and other early appearances, the band used to wear the woolen Pendleton type uh, sweaters on stage but they would quickly you know stop doing that and switch to like the the trademark stripe button down shirts they used to wear and white pants that's how they used to look on stage yeah in the early years but in early 62 hype morgan requested that some of the beach boys add some vocals to some instrumental tracks that he had recorded uh, other musicians had had laid down these tracks. Now this led to the creation of Kenny and the Cadets, which Brian led under the pseudonym Kenny. Okay, the other members were Carl Wilson, Al Jardine, and the Wilson's mother Audrey Wilson. So in February '62, Jardine would leave leave the Beach Boys to become a dentist. Okay, he was going to study dentistry. And he got replaced by David Marks. So yep. Marks was kind of officially in the band now. The Beach Boys, through having a minor hit, had a hard time getting picked up after Candix Records folded. Okay. Uh, Candix had gone bankrupt because of the high demand for that one single. And uh, they, they, they shopped Dot Records, Liberty Records. These were all big labels at the time that you can get singles out on okay uh i don't know if you remember the rot the ronettes would be affiliated i believe with dot okay yeah, dot, a couple, yeah. couple of years later now uh they dot and liberty turned them down they didn't they didn't want them but soon a guy named nick vanette okay he was the executive and staff producer of capital records showed interest and he kind of saw the beach boys as the next big thing he was looking to get a you know a hot teenage band okay you know in the early 60s the teenage culture there's a lot of money in that if you could tap into it 
you know, you could make a lot of money. And that's what the Beach Boys represented to him. He said, you know, you guys could be the next big thing with all the all the teenage fans. Okay. And uh, they would sign a seven year deal with Capitol Records. Um, And on June 4th, 1962, the Beach Boys debuted on Capitol with their second single, Surf and Safari. All right. And yeah, and the flip side was 409, which is a great song as well. Uh, I was surprised. I didn't realize that 409 wasn't a single of its own. I I thought it was. okay, but it was actually just the flip side of of Surf and Safari. Now, the release prompted national coverage in Billboard magazine. Billboard caught wind of of these guys and said, uh, you know, they're really on to something here. Mike Love's lead vocals had a lot of potential. They said they loved his voice. Okay. And uh, Surf and Safari got to number 14 nationally and found a lot of airplay in New York City and Phoenix. So not only were they being popular in the West, they were getting popular on the East Coast as well. Yeah. Uh, and that, that really surprised Capitol Records. I think they didn't realize that they would have such a huge hit on their hands, especially right off the bat. So the Beach Boys then would release their first album, also called Surf and Safari, in October of 1962. Nick Vanette is credited as the producer, but he really had little to do with it. It was really Brian, okay? Uh, He would kind of like be in the studio, guide them along a little bit, but Brian was the one that was really starting to be interested in in producing. Um, The first album, uh, Surface Safari is really different from what a lot of other rock bands were doing at the time. Um, it was almost all original songs. There was like maybe one or two covers on it. Um, and most of the songs were written by Brian, Mike Love, and a guy named uh, Gary Usher. Yeah. So they were really writing their own music, which was something that a lot of rock bands really hadn't done yet. Okay, Buddy Holly would be an exception, which we're going to talk about him next week. Okay, Uh, but uh, Bob Dylan was coming up, but not really in rock and roll circles yet. He was still kind of in a folk music area. Okay, Mike, I got two questions for you. Sure. So, um, seven is is that that's like to me that sounds like a long time a seven year record deal. Like when you do well, a deal like that, how many records are is it a three record deal? Or? Yeah, you know that's that's a good question. Um, I think it, it was th- they expected the Beach Boys to come out with probably about two records a year. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know what was written down officially in the contract, but they seem when you when you look at it, they seem to be releasing things around Christmas time. Okay, yes. and uh, they expected that. Capital would expect that. And I think, and remember, there was some one-off singles in there too. So you're looking at, and, and early on, they were putting out two records a year, close to three. Okay. So, you know, they really, there was no problem with um, putting out things. In the early years, he was pumping it out, Brian Wilson. Okay. So Capital, I'm sure, was happy with that until things started to flounder a little bit and they didn't sell as good. Okay. And we'll get into that because by the, you know, the last two or three years of the contract, 
they're fighting with the label. Okay, there's lawsuits. Uh, there would be records that would be shelved, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I also want to ask you. Um, so at this point, what's um, Brian Wilson producing already? He was starting to. He was. He was, he was learning. To. He he okay. was learning. I mean, you know, Surf and Safari was the first album they ever did. Prior to that, yeah. he only had you know practicing at home with little bit of equipment he had, and also the the surfing single that they. They put out before so he you know uh this guy nick vinette gets the credit on the surf and safari album but brian really had a lot to do with it so what was also interesting is that they were being marketed as kind of the first surf band surf music band now i'm a big fan of surf music Bands like The Ventures and stuff like that, The Shantays. Uh, but they're not really a surf band. Because a lot of surf music emphasizes, you know, guys like Dick Dale uh, emphasizes a lot of guitar work with a lot of reverb on it, a lot of echo. And you could tell a surf song when you hear it. The Beach Boys yes. have a lot of elements of that, but they really, their emphasis was always especially early on, more on the, the vocal harmonies. And they were yes. getting that from their their influences in the 50s with the vocal harmony bands and doo-wop and all that stuff. Um, you know, what was happening was you had this kind of like two things happening at the same time. The Beach Boys were doing very well. They were kind of being marketed as a surf band. And they yes. were. They, they were. I would say they were like a 50% surf band. Okay, the other half being the vocal harmonies. Now, at the same time, you had this underground surf scene, real surf music, 100% surf music at the same time. And there would be kind of a crossover of fans. But some fans became hostile to the Beach Boys. Okay, and they were known to, you know, surf music crazy fans were, were known to go to Beach Boys gigs and throw shit at them. <laughs> you know, throw vegetables at them and shit like that. Okay? <laughs> throw a tomato at you. Tomato. <laughs> throw, throw a tomato at your face. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to think that that happened in those days, but it did. Okay. People, people were rapidly into that surf music, and it was kind of like guys like Dick Dale, who recently passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, if you listen to his his music, I mean, he made he must have made him, you know. A million dollars off the theme from Pulp Fiction, and that was a song that he had written, you know, at that time in the early '60s. Yeah. Um, all right, so in January '63, the Beach Boys recorded their first top ten single, "Surfing USA," which began their long run as with very highly successful recordings. During these sessions for the single, Brian Wilson made the production decision of double tracking the group's vocals resulting in a much deeper and more resonant sound. He was really learning how to work this equipment. Yeah. The album of the same name followed in March and reached number two. Okay, Surf and Safari. Now, the success of this album did kick off the surf scene, like I said, but again, they weren't really totally part of that. Now, through 63, riding high in these charts now, Brian Wilson worked with and produced some outside bands. 
And one band called the Honeys, female band, uh, he was kind of convinced would be a counterpart to the Beach Boys, like a female version. Yeah, didn't female quite, version. yeah, it didn't quite work out. Um, he produced some singles for them, but it didn't really prove very popular. Uh, he soon would begin to go visit the Gold Star Studios in Los Angeles. And uh, he would watch Phil Spector work his magic. Okay, so there's a there's a famous story when in 1963, Brian Wilson was driving in his car, you know, probably a you know convertible of some kind, Southern California, beautiful day, and Ronette's "Be My Baby" came on, and the story goes is that he was so blown away he had to pull over and listen to it. And he really was just trying to figure out how, you know, Spectre got those sounds, that big wall of sound. Okay. So he had started to visit the studios and watched Phil Spectre. Now, it was around this time that uh, Brian really started to think of himself, not just as a songwriter, but as a producer as well. He wanted yeah. to be like, he wanted to be like Phil Spectre in the sense that he wanted to create this whole sonic experience, okay? And he would become more album-oriented, too. He wasn't thinking, oh, just the, just the hit single. We're going to have an album that's a whole listening atmospheric experience. Yeah. Phil, Spector was, Phil Spector was doing the same thing, but he one, – one difference I'll say is that Brian kind of took it to the next level when it came to the albums, Phil in the beginning was strictly about singles, pumping yeah. out the hit single. He was still in that 1950s mentality, and that's fine. But that those days were numbered, and albums would become important by the mid 60s, late 60s, mid 60s. And yeah. Brian was kind of like at the you know the forefront of that. Yeah, he now, was a pioneer. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now the next he album also carry a bad wig and a gun like Phil Spector. I don't know about the wig. He might have had a gun. <laughs> I don't know about the wig. I don't think so. And I like Phil Spector. He hasn't killed anybody yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So <laughs> so the next album, which would be 1963's Surfer Girl. Surfing, um, girl. Surfing. Right. right now, mark the, that would mark the first time the Beach Boys would start using session musicians, outside musicians to yeah. record an album. Uh, many of the session musicians he used were Phil Spector's guys. OK, uh, what was called the Wrecking Crew and a few other people um, to end 1963. The band released a standalone single, which is one of their, their greatest the Christmas song, Little St. Nick. Yeah. Uh, it also had, a, on the B-side, it had a version of the Lord's Prayer done a, a cappella style. Uh, the single got to number three on the Christmas charts on Billboard. Interesting, there was, Christmas, there was a Christmas chart back then. That's how many bands would come out with Christmas songs. Yeah. You know, it was a big thing. So the surf music craze, of which the Beach Boys were kind of riding high on, soon began to wane with the arrival of the Beatles. Oh, by and, the way, I hate to take you off the subject, yeah. but Duran Duran released a new album. Really? Don't be surprised if they go on concert and I'll get tickets for us to see Duran Duran. 
Yeah, I, I would go. I would go. I like a couple of songs. Yeah. What the hell? I know you love them. They're your favorite band. I love Duran Duran. You know you do. So, uh, you know, the, the, the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks and Yardbirds and all these guys, you yeah, know, British Invasion came here and kind of yeah. killed the, the surf music scene. That was one of the first things to go. Okay, you you couldn't you couldn't throw a rock at a at a surf band. You couldn't find one after that. Everybody wanted to be like the Beatles. Um, though guys like Dick Dale and stuff and and David Allen and people like that would would continue on. Um, they ended up returning the Beach Boys returning from a, a successful Asian and Australian tour in January of '64. Uh, really to kind of just find themselves in, in, in a quandary because they came back and then all of a sudden, like right away, February 64, the Beatles are on Ed Sullivan. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the bottom fell out. It was like, oh, shit. Okay. So Capitol Records actually controlled the Beatles in America. So not only are they getting hit with, this brand new band, this brand new band is on their label. Okay. So this happens and capital starts to show more interest in the Beatles than the beach boys. And Manny, I'm sorry, Murray Wilson, um, their father and manager. Started fighting for them. He, yeah. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't like this. Okay. He said he's not having this. So he would fight very hard for the, for the, for the beach boys. Uh, sometimes he would show up unannounced in the studios or unannounced at the record company offices and, you know, make a scene. OK, yeah. what are you doing? What are you doing for my boys? Now, Carl Wilson was the only real member in the beginning, the first member to really like the Beatles. Uh, Brian didn't like them at first. I guess it was like a competition thing in a way. He yeah, would. Grow yeah. I mean, I think he kind of viewed them as a threat. Uh, which kind of like might be a sign of his coming paranoia problems and things. But uh, Carl was a fan and he followed them and he was kind of telling Brian what was going on with them. And Brian had a, a sense that he had to keep pace with them at least. So, but by the middle of the sixties, he would really be a big Beatles fan. He would embrace them. Okay. Now Brian wrote his last um, surf song. Because they knew they had to change yeah, their, theme, their theme a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Now, he wrote his last one. That was in April of 64. And it's the song, I Get Around. Okay. Yeah. And that was recorded in the same month. And Murray Wilson was fired that month as manager. Okay. They got rid of their father. Wow. So they felt they, they, had to, they had to make some changes. Um, he remained in close contact. It wasn't a, a, a falling out or anything, but he remained in close contact with the band and he would give them advice from, you know, here okay. on. Okay. Now I get around when released in May would end up being their first number one in the U S okay. And in, and in Canada. Right. And it was also top 10 in Sweden, just like us. And the UK and the UK yeah. as well. Okay. Now proving the Beach Boys could compete with the Beatles. In other words, they you know they were having a top ten hit in the in England. Okay, so that's when they started to make a splash over there. It really wasn't until that single came out. Um, 
they, in July of 64, which would be the next album, uh, All Summer Long was released, got to number four in the United States. And uh, it kind of was a different album. It had some interesting production qualities. There was exotic sounds into it, piccolos, uh, xylophones, these little weird little instruments were brought in, um, especially on the on the title track. That had a lot of that on it. Mike, um, the uh, Beach Boy up here on Ed Sullivan, right? I believe so. I believe so. It had to. Yeah. Like, if the Beatles yeah. did they put that I'm big. Pretty sure. Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, um, supposedly, they performed I Get Around on Ed Sullivan in September 1964. So, they were on Ed Sullivan. I'm just looking yeah, at it right I now. Yeah, I think more than once. I think more, more than, than once. once. Yeah. So, the album was kind of this album was the last album that had that surf theme uh yeah. you know anything to do with surfing or hot rods or anything like that uh later albums would go down many different styles stylistic paths uh right before this album was released a live album came out called beach boys concert and it spent four weeks at number one it featured wow. a lot of songs that they hadn't put out yet it was kind of like a set of new music. And I think it's a great live album. I've listened to it. Um, in June of 64, Brian recorded the bulk of the Beach Boys Christmas album with a 41-piece orchestra in collaboration with the four freshman arranger Dick Reynolds. Okay. Wow. Now, the album was in response to Phil Spector's A Christmas Gift for You that had come out the previous holiday season. Uh, that was in late 63 that was released. Now, the Beach Boys Christmas album was released in December of 64 and was divided between new interpretations of seven traditional Christmas songs and then five new Christmas songs that they wrote. Okay. And the album would be considered one of the finest holiday records ever recorded. Okay. Uh, and one single from the album was called The Man With All The Toys. And it got to number six on the U.S. Billboard Christmas charts. And this kind of rode on the heels of the Beach Boys' performance for the Tammy Show, T-A-M-I. It was a, a concert film that was released at that time. Okay, it came out in November. So not only were they in the movie, they had a hit, a Christmas song hit. Okay? And by the end of 64, Things would change for Brian. Uh, the stress of road travel, writing, producing, uh, it became too much for him. He had a panic attack wow. on, on December 23rd on a plane. He was going from L.A. to Houston, and he suffered this panic attack. Now, in January of 65, he announced that he wasn't going to tour anymore with the band. Uh, he would concentrate strictly on songwriting and record production. So for the rest of 64 into 65, session musician Glenn Campbell served as Brian's temporary touring replacement. And Carl Wilson took over as the band's new musical director, like touring director. He was in charge of their, the way they were on stage. Uh, now in the studio, full-time Brian wanted to evolve the Beach Boys beyond their surf aesthetic sound. 
he believed that their image was starting to be a little antiquated, a little old. They needed a change. And distracting, you know, it was he felt their image distracted from the fact that he was a good songwriter and a good producer. Okay. So musically, he wanted to move forward with this kind of wall. Yeah. Of, so, you know, musically, he wanted to go forward with, the, with this wall of sound that he was creating, yeah. his own wall of sound. Uh, and he did it in a very similar way that Spectre did it. He doubled up on all the instruments. You know, instead of just one bass guitar, he had three. Okay. You know, everything that Spectre had done, he kind of copied for what what he was doing. So uh the big change now we, you know, it yeah. was his own, yeah. It was I mean he he was definitely influenced by Phil Spectre. He added his own thing to it. So, you know, it wasn't like he just ripped them off and that's it. Okay. Plus he wrote his own stuff, arranged everything. You know, he was the Beach Boys. Okay, especially early on. Okay. Yeah. Now, released in March of 1965, the Beach Boys Today album marked the first time the group experimented with an album as art theme. It was going to the, the idea that he had of a whole sonic experience in one album, okay, as opposed to just the hit single. Now, yeah. Side One features up-tempo songs like uh, their version of Do You Want to Dance, uh, this album also had Help Me Rhonda on it. That's one of their best songs. Yeah, I love and, that song. Yeah. And side two is mostly ballads. Okay. And the the themes were the lyrical themes on this album, very different. Yeah, you know, got away from the surf stuff, the the you know, the the fun in the sun kind of thing. Uh they were more mature lyrics. Kind of if you ever Take take a listen to Help Me Rhonda. Okay. Yeah. Listen to the words. He's he's telling a girl that he met named Rhonda to help him take his mind off of a chick that just screwed him over. Yeah. Kind of kind of different than than a lot of other musical themes at the time. Usually a you know a guy would sing to the girl, like I love you, you know, whatever. Okay. But but yeah. he's saying no. I, I, I love. I can forget about this girl. Yeah, yeah. Help me, help me forget about this girl. I don't know if I love you, but help, help me forget about this girl. It's it's kind of like you know a little different. Rhonda could be a hooker for all you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. So, uh, but it was a great song. Yeah, and and even though they were getting away from that surf theme and and kind of an older sound that they had. They still had fantastic harmonies on this album, uh, which would always be a trademark of the band. Uh, but you could hear the Phil Spector influence in the production, and you could also hear a little bit of the Beatles in that. In some of the some of the music, that the guitar work and stuff, it was getting to be more like guitar oriented. Okay, slightly getting a little bit away from the vocal harmonies, a little bit. Now, in April of '65, Glenn Campbell's own career started to rise and he had to leave the beach boys he, he pulled from touring um he was replaced by columbia records staff producer bruce johnston now johnston originally was trying to find somebody for the beach boys all right uh i believe um campbell was on columbia and columbia was helping the beach boys out 
Okay, the Beach Boys were not on Columbia. They were on Capitol. So Bruce Johnston was trying to help them and find a, 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 a touring replacement for Glenn Campbell, but couldn't find anybody and ended up kind of doing it himself. Okay, so his first contribution, Bruce Johnston, was in June 4th of 1965 for the vocal sessions for recording California Girls. Okay, which would which would that would first appear on their next album, which was called um, Summer Days and Summer Nights. It was released as a single first, I believe. Uh, in the spring of 65, they released a reworked version of Help Me Rhonda. Okay, for that single release. And that, that actually went to number one. If you listen to the single version of Help Me Rhonda and the album version of Help Me Rhonda, it's a little different. A little, little bit of a different sound. Still the same song, but a little, little different yeah, production. A little different arrangement. A little bit, right, a little bit. Now, to appease Capitol Records' demand for a new album, Brian conceived this idea of a Beach Boys Party record, and it would be called Beach Boys Party. It was a live, in-the-studio kind of thing, mostly acoustic songs, uh, and they would be covering, it was, it was all covers. They were doing 1950s rock, uh, Bob Dylan's Time They Are A-Changing, okay? Yeah. So you, you could see how Dylan's influence was creeping into, into them and everybody else's at the time, okay? The birds were, were coming forth now. They were covering a lot of Dylan stuff. Um, and but they reworked this is like a breakthrough. They're doing a live studio band recording, right? Not well, too, how well, many you know, me, and you, me, me and you have brought it up several times in different shows. Did the Unplug series in the nineties? Okay, yeah. that a lot of band, a lot of bands did the Unplug stuff, and this was oh, kind of like this is like original, right? Were they the first band that did live studio? Were other bands that did it? I, I think probably the first major. I'm not sure if they were the first, okay. but they were definitely the first major band to do something like this. Uh, they covered um, a song by a doo-wop band called The Regents, uh, and that song was Barbara Ann. And that Barbara. ended up right. That ended up going to number two, surprisingly. If you listen to Barbara Ann, it's like a party's going on in the background. You hear them laughing, yeah. and it's, like, it, it's totally live in the studio. All right. And very, you know, very influential for the time. It was very just raw and put together simply, not big arrangements. Uh, and it was cheap to make and it, it was a hit. OK, so in November of 65, the group released another top 20 single called The Little Girl I Once Knew, uh, which was really kind of considered experimental at the time. OK, lyrically topic of the song. It would peak at number 20. All right, so it did, it did pretty well. Um, now, the next album is very important. Um, it's really kind of like their Sergeant Pepper. All right, uh, it's to me, it's one of the greatest albums ever made, and 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 it's probably their greatest album. Uh, though I kind of like Beach Boys today a lot, um, but that would be 1966's Pet Sounds. Mm -hmm. right. Now, it was a natural extension to the Beach Boys Today record, okay, to yeah. follow with this kind of thing. Um, Pet Sounds is a, like a total stew, 
of everything that they ever recorded up to that point. Okay. Whether it's the vocal harmony surf kind of stuff uh, to more Beatlesque kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and even with the, the Phil Spector influenced production and Bob Dylan thrown in there. Okay. With some very mature kind of songwriting. Um, it had some very strange kind of quirky orchestrations um, that showed almost like a Burt Bacharach kind of influence yeah. as well. Um, there was also a music at the time in the, in the mid sixties called exotica music, which was kind of like lounge music. You've, 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 you've heard this kind of music. You might just not know what it is. Okay. Yeah. But it, it's, it's kind of like, a lot of like exotic instruments, xylophones, things like that. There's, there's, you know, if you listen to the songs on here, like, uh, like Sloop John B. Okay. Yeah. There's some funny song, like, you know, instruments in the song and, you, and you're like, okay. Um, now for pet sounds, Brian does, uh, desired to kind of make a complete statement. Again, a whole album as a statement, a whole listening yeah. experience. So, he was very influenced by the Beatles' Rubber, Rubber Soul album. Yeah, Rubber Soul was a good album. Oh, yeah. Well, Rubber Soul into Revolver, into Sgt. Pepper, and, you know, Beach wow. Boys were on a similar course. Okay. Yeah. Um, Rubber Soul was released in December of 65. So for about six months, he was really listening to that. And it definitely inspired Pet Sounds. Now, thanks to mutual connections, Brian was introduced to the Beatles' former press officer, Derek Taylor, and he hired them as the Beach Boys uh, publicist, okay? And this guy, Derek Taylor, loved the Beach Boys, was happy to work for them, and he really considered Brian Wilson to be a genius. And he was, he's the one that really put out in the public a, a, a campaign that Brian Wilson is a musical genius. I think people officially didn't know that at the time. I think, you know, in, in those days, people didn't really care about who made records and, you know, what went in behind it as much as yeah. they do now. Okay. But um, he was the one that came up with that Brian Wilson is a genius theme and was very influential in getting Pet Sounds uh, becoming a big hit in England. Okay. Because that album didn't do as good here as it did over there mm. um it did well here okay but it was a smash over there and that was really because of derek taylor now released on may in in, in may of 1966 uh pet sounds was widely influential and the band's prestige was you know a, a total boost of it in in the public's eye as far as them being creative and making something innovative and not just being like a little pop man. Okay. Um, it was assumed that pet sounds was kind of a bit of a risk because it appealed to really like more adults than kids. When capital heard what they were doing, they, they thought like, well, I don't know if the kids are going to really like this. So what the label did is they put out a best of record, their first greatest hits at the same time okay mm. and that immediately went gold and in the uk however pet sounds 
reached number two. So it was okay. going crazy in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, it, in America, it only sold about five hundred thousand copies. It was it was a hit, but not as a yeah, big as, as big a hit as the other records were. Okay, yeah, but it was still and a I hit. Oh, yeah, no, no, uh, still, still a hit. Yeah, still a hit. But let's say you only sold that in America, but how much did you sell in Europe, you know? In, in Europe, it got to number two, okay? Yeah. And it, it received total positive critical reviews, okay? Where in America, um, it, it varied from negative to positive. It, it wasn't, a, it was a lot of mixes with that. Uh, Paul McCartney actually commented on it at the time and said that the song God Only Knows off of Pet Sounds was his yeah. favorite song by anybody of all time. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful song. And uh, actually, he also said that Pet Sounds was the primary impetus for making Sgt. Pepper in 1967. Wow. Uh, right. Now, also on that album, you have Wouldn't It Be Nice? I believe that's the first song on the album. Uh, yeah. Sloop John B, okay, is is another great song. Um, now, throughout 66, Brian concentrated on a next single and just one song, okay, and it was called Good Vibrations. That's another fantastic song. Yeah, yeah. Now, the single became the most expensive one-off single ever recorded at the time. Wow. Okay. Well, because of the production costs, um, it, it really got into the tens of thousands. It took four major Hollywood studios to record it. Um, he was doing something different. He had a big studio, a lot of musicians, and he was recording in what was called like short segments or modules. Okay, yeah. uh, I'm not a I'm not a you know producer. But the way I understand it is that his segments of, of recordings were very small. So instead of having maybe one or two minutes to work with, he might have had only a few seconds, you know, 30 seconds. Okay. Wow. And he would splice it together to come up with the song. Okay. And yeah, now I don't, that was something that he kind of, I don't know if he invented it, but it was some, a method that, he wanted to do, to use, okay? And it could be very intricate, very difficult. And you had to kind of create like a linear sequence with all these little segments instead of bigger segments. So I think it was a matter of like, it just took so long and so much recording in four major studios that, you know, it just took forever and the work was so tedious. So... He also had other things going on at the same time. Um, in the midst of these these recordings, um, he invited session musician and songwriter Va, uh, Van Dyke Parks, okay, to kind of collaborate as a lyricist for the next album, and that that was going to be the Smile album. Now this yeah. would be a a big debacle, the Smile album, okay, uh, Wilson. And Parks intended Smile to be a continuous, what they called a suite of songs linked both thematically and musically with the main songs linked together 
by small vocal pieces and instrumental segments. Wow. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard to explain it, but when you listen to Smile, uh, which you know I'll go into now, it 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 wasn't released; it was shelved. Okay, but when you listen to it now, because it has come out, yeah. um, it's it's really everything <clears throat> is slapped together in small segments. You can pick up on it, and yeah. it's 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 a very disjointed kind of listening experience um they they really wanted it to be like uh an american record as opposed to the british sound that was all over the airwaves at that time um there's some of the music in there is is like indian or hawaiian music and when i say indian i mean american indian yeah okay um, there's some like country cowboyish kind of songs. There's some cartoon sound effects. There's even like yodeling. Okay. In there, there's like a lot, you know, it's a lot of stuff. And Brian, who I think was starting to, you know, slip a little bit mentally, he was calling <laughs> it a teenage symphony to God. God. Yeah. Okay? So, you know, um, if you want to see a good movie, I, I, I don't know if there's ever been a movie made about the Beach Boys that really, I don't think there has, that touches Wasn't on... Wasn't like a Brian Wilson movie that came out? Yeah, I think there was. I don't know if it was any good. Um, I don't think it was like a major production. Maybe it was even a TV movie or something. I'm not sure. But there is a movie called Grace of My Heart. You ever see that movie? No. Okay. Came out in the 90s. Uh, it's about... Carol King, songwriter Carol King, really. Uh, Ileana Douglas plays a character that's just like her. And she ends up marrying this guy from California that's a producer. And it's obviously supposed to be Brian Wilson. Okay. Yeah. And you see what happens to him. And it's very similar to what happened to Brian. There was a lot of acid being taken. There was a lot of, you know, shit like that going on. Okay. And I think Brian was starting to you know, lose it a little bit with this. Now, recording for Smile lasted about a year, from mid-66 to mid-67. Uh, and again, he was doing, recording a whole album in that short segment kind of thing that he did with the single for Good Vibrations. Yeah, that's okay. crazy. Yeah, now, at the same time, he had other side projects that he was trying to get capital to be interested in. Uh, one was a comedy album. Okay. Uh, one was a health food themed album. Okay. Uh, one was an album only of sound effects. Okay. And none of this Capitol Records was interested in the Pitch Boys doing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, what are you, what are you doing? Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Now, this kind of, you know, they, they, they had enough. Uh, money at the time and and all that that they decided well okay we'll start our own label all right and that was called brother records and brian wilson put their friend david anderley in charge of the label okay now throughout 1966 emi records flooded the uk market with all the back catalog of the beach boys okay so they were about four years behind the American market. Okay. A lot of the 
Beach Boys today had not even been released in in the UK. Uh, Serpent Safari, none of that. Okay, had been released. So the the EMI was given the catalog capital. There was a, a, a an arrangement, and they put everything out in the UK. Uh, Beach Boys Party, Beach Boys Today, Summer Days and Summer Nights, all that stuff was re-released there. Also, the Best of Record was released, and that got to number two in the UK as well. Um, the final quarter of 66 saw the Beach Boys as the biggest selling act in the UK. And That's they crazy. were also, right, in 1960, uh, in, in, in December of 1966, Christmas time, they, they were voted by New Musical Express magazine as the greatest band in the world, eclipsing the Beatles. And that's in the UK. Okay. So throughout that first half of 67, Brian kept pushing back the release for Smile. He was still working on it. Okay. He was tinkering with all the sounds and arrangements and production. And he was slowly becoming delusional and paranoid. <laughs> all right. And he, he believed that this one track that they were going to put on the album called fire. They believe he believed the song actually burned down a building. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he was losing doing, his wobbles. He's so doing very fancy. <laughs> now he also claimed that a painting of him, by his friend David Anderley, took his soul. He told Anderley, your painting took my soul. <laughs> okay. Was that yeah. was a way. Yeah. Now, also what would happen at this time, on uh, January 3rd, 1967, Carl Wilson got drafted, and he refused to go. Okay, he was drafted to go to Vietnam, and he refused to go. He tried to say he was a conscientious objector. Um, this went on for several years because he actually got arrested by the FBI. Uh, he would be released, but they they would they would it would go on for many many years. Uh, it took several years to resolve that matter. Now, if you think about it, at that time, uh, if you refused to go, you would consider the coward. Okay, so yeah. it didn't look. It wasn't good for publicity for the Beach Boys to have somebody in the band that was was uh, you know not going to go to go to war if he was drafted. Um, now, after many months of delays, recordings, and hype for Smile, Brian Wilson shelved it, shelved the whole project. He said, "No, I'm not putting it out." Okay, uh, and in February of '67, there was a lawsuit launched. For two hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars against Capitol Records, Brian uh, was convinced that they owed him tons of royalty payments that he never got. Okay, now in the lawsuit, there was an attempt also to terminate the rest of the Capitol Records deal. Mm. Okay, record contract. Uh, it was supposed to end in November of '69. But many of Brian Wilson's associates at the time, they, he kind of, uh, he turned people off, basically. They, they, they were abandoning him. A lot of friends were just done with him at this point. Uh, musicians that worked with him didn't want to work with him anymore. Um, in the decades following that non-release of Smile, it was actually bootlegged 
many, many times. Uh, it's probably one of the most bootleg recordings ever. Uh, yeah. But many people feel that if it had been released in 67, uh, it would have kind of cemented Brian as an innovator in rock and roll. Okay. Wow. Uh, it finally came out in 2011. Slightly, it was never really finished. So it has kind of an unfinished sound to it. Okay. Uh, it's an interesting listen. Uh, just out of curiosity, you should put it on. Uh, but it's, it's, it's out there. It was re If they had put this out, they would have gone into a more Frank Zappa kind of direction. Wow. Okay. Than, than the regular Beach Boys direction. So in May of 67, the Beach Boys attempted to tour Europe with four extra musicians uh, that were brought in from the United States. But when they got to the UK, the British Musicians Union stopped it. Okay. They weren't allowed to have these, these new guys. Okay, now the tour went on, but people described their shows as amateurish. They didn't. They didn't sound good. Okay, um, in the last minute, the Beach Boys, who was supposed to play the Monterey Pop Festival in June of '67, canceled, and that was a um, a time when the Monterey Pop was kind of like. The latest bands, kind of like a Lollapalooza, okay, yeah. where you have you know underground bands, okay, and uh, they, them backing out of it was was not a good. It didn't work out for them very well with the fans. Um, they were they were starting to get uh, younger fans that were more interested in what they were doing at that time than what yeah. they had done five years earlier, six years earlier, okay. Um, you know, people started being turned off by them because they didn't go to the Monterey Pop. Uh, they they were calling them the Bleach Boys instead, or they were calling the them Calif <laughs> California Hypes, meaning they were just, you know, fake, okay? Yeah. Um, and what also happened as a result of that Monterey Pop Festival is the, the, the public consciousness for the California scene was changing from Los Angeles, Southern California, to what was going on in Northern California. Now it was everything, everything out of San Francisco was huge. Bands like the Jefferson airplane and stuff like that. Okay. Were, you know, becoming more of a focus in the press and things like that. Now, although smile had been canceled by the beach boys. Okay. They were still under, you know, pressure to put out an album. So what Brian, uh, didn't really want to record anything. He kind of wanted to, you know, he put everything into smile. It didn't work out. You know, mentally, he wasn't in a good place. Okay. He wanted to take it easy. So the next album that they would, they, they'd have to do something. Okay. He knew they had to record something. And that would be the Smiley Smile album. <laughs> I mean, with these titles, you know that he was, he was, he was going somewhere. Okay. He was lumped up. He was lumped up. <laughs> now, smile. Molly Smile. Now, sessions for this new album would be between June and July of 1967. And it was at Brian's new home studio that he had put together. Uh, most of the album featured the Beach Boys playing their own instruments rather oh. than using session musicians, uh, which they had done on the last couple of records. Um, and it was the first album that gave production credits to the whole band. Okay. Wow. As, oppo as opposed to just Brian alone. 
um, even though technically it, it was. Okay, I think he was trying to, you know, give credit to the other guys as well. In July of 67, the lead single was called Heroes and Villains. Good song. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it got it got to number 12. It's not one of their well-known singles. If you hear it, you know it, but yeah. it's not one that kind of resonates as a as a big hit, though it got to number 12. Uh, oh, despite, so no, it's a great song. I think it's a great song. Yeah. Despite the top 20 success, though, people were getting confused by the Beach Boys. Okay. Um, Jimi Hendrix had some bad words to say about them. Okay. He said they were a, a psychedelic barbershop quartet. <laughs> 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 All right. And you know, I mean Jimmy Jimmy was the king at that point. So that was not that was not good for the for the Beach Boys to be called that. Okay. And Capitol Records and the band had worked out that lawsuit. Okay. Uh and they had also worked out the fact that Smile was not released. Everything was okay, sort of. All right. Uh, Bruce Johnston, who was absent for most of the Smiley Smile recordings, uh, did not accompany the group on a two-day tour to Hawaii. Uh, Brian did. Brian actually came out to tour on those two dates. Okay. Uh, these performances were recorded and filmed with the intention of a new live album to come out, which was going to be called Laid. In Hawaii, laid lei, you know the thing they put yeah. all the flowers. Okay, yeah. <laughs> laid, laid in Hawaii. That's great. Okay, that's a great. But album. that, but that never came out. It was, it was, left, it was left unreleased. Okay, I guess they had a problem with it being called laid in Hawaii. Somebody had a problem with that. Okay, now Smiley Smile was released on September eighteenth, nineteen sixty-seven. It got to number forty-one in the U.S., making it their worst-selling album to date. Um, that would, uh, they, it was, it was kind of like a string. It began a string of bad records, not bad. Uh, I shouldn't say bad. I should say bad but selling. It's still, but it's still it's a good record. Smiley Smile, Smiley Smile is a good record. It, it, it really is. Uh, and, and it, it really, you know, goes to show how talented they were. Okay. And Brian was, was, you know, consciously trying to give credit to the other guys as well, help them along. Okay. Yeah. Um now they would have they wouldn't have another big hit again until the early 70s. Okay. But uh it that album Smiley Smile did a lot better in the UK. It got to act, it got actually got to number 9. All right, in the UK. Yeah. Um most fans over the years or I should say most fans in the beginning didn't like Smiley Smile for some reason. Um, American fans, uh, but what it became known as is kind of like a chill out album. Okay, yeah, like if, you wanted, an if you wanted it, yeah, if you wanted to drop acid, you'd put on Smiley Smile. <laughs> okay. So wow. it got it had a bit of a cult quality to it in a way that I think Brian probably didn't intend. Okay, or maybe he did. I I, I don't know. Maybe he was looking to make a chill out album. I, I don't know. Now immediately. After the the not very big success with Smiley Smile, they went back in the studio and recorded a new album called Wild Honey. Wild, um, Honey. Wild Honey would be an experimentation into soul music. 
Okay. Uh, now, most songs on this album didn't have the vocal harmonies that they were known for. It was a lot of like Brian playing the piano singing. Okay. And, you know, a, a lot of, you know, uh, soul kind of sounds of the time. I think it's a good record. The title track is good. Okay. Uh, I think they probably were, were, were wanted to do something totally the opposite of what was going on at the time, which was psychedelic music. Um, they made a soul record in the vein of The Temptations. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's actually a good record. I, I've listened to it. It has some good songs on there. They cover a Stevie Wonder song. There's like a you know a bunch of things. Now, Wild Honey came out December 18th, 1967. And its main competition, it just to just to think about how it went against the grain, the main competition at the time was the Rolling Stones Satanic Majesty's Request oh. and the and the Beatles Magical Mystery Tour had just come out. That album. Two great albums. Yeah. Okay. And you know, six months earlier, Sergeant Pepper had come out. So the, the 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 scene at the time was this psychedelic music, and they just put out a soul record. Okay, totally different. Um, the problem is the, the the album didn't do good. It did worse than Smiley Smile, and it only stayed on the charts for about 15 weeks. Um, at that point, Brian told the band that they would have a lot more say in upcoming albums when it got to the songwriting and everything like that. Um, Wild Honey really kind of turned out to be a very influential album in the sense that contemporary artists weren't afraid to put out something a little bit different at the time. Okay. You know, psychedelia was everything in 67 yeah. going into 68. Okay. Uh, this was a very non-conforming approach to making a record. We're not going to do something like that. We're going to do the opposite. Uh, Bob Dylan would do the same kind of thing. The kinks, and the birds would release records that were really different than what was they had done before and what was going on at the time. Um, by the end of 67, the Beach Boys were at their lowest point in popularity, and their public image was really not helping either. Uh, critics claimed that they were kind of like just trying to keep pace with the Beatles. Uh, that was pointless, and you're never going to be as good as them. That That's kind of what the the press was saying about them at that time. <clears throat> Capitol Records still promoted them as the number one surf group. Okay. So Capitol really didn't understand what Brian was trying to do. I'm not sure if Brian understood what Brian was trying to do either. Okay. But, 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 you know, they didn't know how to promote them in any other way than what had worked before. And that was as a surf band. Um, they got rid of their, striped shirts at the time okay and then they started wearing um all white polyester suits they looked like a vegas lounge act okay? <laughs> it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't good it wasn't really that good for their, their look no. now mike love uh he would travel in february and march of 1968 with the beatles and donovan to be with the uh, maharishi mahesh yogi Okay, everybody was into the Maharishi at that time. And the next Beach Boys album called Friends would be influenced by the transcendental meditation techniques that the Maharishi taught. Okay, so they were making a kind of like 
you know, Indian George Harrison kind of themed record. Okay. And in support of the Friends album, when they went out on tour, they 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 brought the Maharishi with them. Wow. Okay. And this was arranged by Mike Love, who was who was going in that direction, becoming a, a Buddhist in a way. Um, that tour started on May third, nineteen sixty-eight. It only lasted five shows. Um, the Maharishi canceled. He pulled out of the tour. <laughs> Because he had wow. film contracts that he had to obligate, uh, and basically the, the the five shows that they did, it was not well attended, didn't wow. work out, and they ended up canceling twenty four dates at a supposed cost of about a quarter of a million dollars. They lost, wow. which was a lot That's of money, money in sixty eight. Yeah, now friends came out on June 24th and it only peaked at number 126 in the U.S. That's um, pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. And then in August, Capitol Records, trying to recoup, uh, had this bright idea. I think it's 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 even stupider than the Friends album. Is is they, they released like instrumental versions of Beach Boy songs called wow. Backing I don't know. They called it stacko tracks. Okay. And it was like instrumental stuff without yeah, any vocals. Stupid. Okay. Didn't even chart. Didn't even chart. So in June of 68, this is when things would, would really go off off the off the oh, cliff. Yeah, that's the Charles Manson years. Yep, yep. <laughs> in June of 68, Dennis Wilson befriended Charles Manson. Uh, Charles Manson at the time was an aspiring singer songwriter uh, and their friendship lasted for several months uh, Dennis brought him to Brian's studio he bought him some time there okay and there was a recording couple recording sessions attempted uh, while Brian stayed in his room Brian had nothing to do with these sessions okay uh, Dennis then proposed that Manson be signed to the Brothers Records, which was their the Beach Boys label. Okay, Brian never liked Charles Manson. Never liked that. Okay, <laughs> and this deal never happened. He never got signed to their label. Um, in July of '68, the Beach Boys would release a standalone single called "Do It Again." which was kind of like an earlier sounding song, okay? Yeah. In an attempt to have a hit. Uh, Brian admitted himself into a psychiatric hospital around the same time. Uh, he was not doing well. Um, the rest of the band stayed behind in the studio, wrote some songs, produced some material without him. Um, and they kind of reworked some older outtakes and leftovers. And this would be the 2020 album, 20 slash 20. Okay. Yep. Uh, it came out in January of 1969. And Brian produced almost nothing of it. He was in the hospital for some of it when he did get out. I think he tinkered with a few things, but he really didn't have a lot to do with it. One track on the 2020 album was a reworking of a Charles Manson written song called Cease <laughs> to Exist. 
ceased to exist. But they didn't call it that. They reworked the song, and it was a song that the Beach Boys renamed Never Learn Not to Love. Mm. Okay? So when you listen to that on 2020, I, I mean, I don't know what the original words were, okay? But it was a little bit different kind of song written by Charles Manson. And what happened... Yeah. Now, what was happening at Dennis Wilson's house at the time is the Manson cult followers, the Manson family, was starting to congregate there, okay? Because Dennis and and Charles were friends, and he would bring over these people, okay? And, you know, everybody was getting lumped up, whatever, but these people were creepy, all right? Yeah. Dennis Dennis was starting to want to distance himself from Charles, Okay, and, uh, you know, it's said that the entire Wilson family was actually scared of Charles Manson and his followers. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it would all come to a head in August of 69. Uh, The Manson family committed the the Tate LaBianca murders. Okay. Right. And. According to John Parks, um, he was the band's tour manager. It was kind of widely suspected after the murders in the Hollywood scene that Manson was involved. Okay, the, a lot of people suspected that. Okay, because they didn't they didn't arrest him right away. It took about three months for them to arrest wow. Manson. Okay, uh, but what was happening was there was this rumor and 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 information was coming out about the Beach Boys being friends with Charles Manson, okay? And, I mean, Manson said it himself to people, yeah, I'm friends with Dennis Wilson, you know? And, uh, you know, it it, kind of, like, caused this hostility in the public eye towards the Beach Boys, like, almost (laughs) like they were involved in a way, but they were not. Yeah. It had nothing to do with it, okay? Uh, But it was the kind of negative attention that you don't want, okay? So in, in, in November, the police arrested Charles Manson and his connection with the band at that point really got national attention. OK, and that was not that was not good. I mean, he was later convicted on several counts of murder and conspiracy yeah. and conspiracy to murder and that whole thing. So, yeah, he was- yeah now what was also a shock to the public and fans as well was that the Beach Boys were almost bankrupt. Uh, Brian was putting out some interviews and press talking about their their monetary situation in the band. And the band in the spring of 69 took another look at the lawsuit that they had settled, okay, yeah. and, and it was revealed to them in a way, they believed that they were owed another $2 million by Capitol Records. Okay, for more unpaid royalties and production costs. Okay, Uh, Brian hoped that a new single called Breakaway would solve many of the money problems if it was a hit. Uh, The song was written by him and his father, Murray. Wasn't a hit. He only got to number 63 in the United States. Uh, But in England, they were still doing well. It got to number six in the uk 
Uh, Brian made some good in it in the UK. They're definitely doing good. In yeah, the UK. I think the I, I I think the Charles Manson rumors and stuff really didn't travel over there too much. Yeah. Okay. I think that they they didn't have that negative press over there. But in the U.S., fuck. In, in the U.S., it was a little it was a little bit worse. Um, they had also been talking with uh, European label Deutsch Gramophone about recording for them going on there because they knew that they knew in November of 69 that the contract was going to be up with capital and they were looking to jump ship. Deutsch Gramophone, I thought that was very interesting because they put out classical music. They don't put out, I don't think they put out rock music as far as I know. Maybe they delved, they delved into it a little bit, but that, that is interesting. I wonder what Brian was thinking about wanting to get on a classical label. Maybe he wanted to change format again or do something different. Maybe, maybe, you know. Maybe um, smile, 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 smile. <laughs> in classical music style, yeah, maybe something yeah. like that, you know. Now, at this point. Right. Now, the Capitol Records contract expired in November. Um, and in order to stop future royalties to Brian and the band, Capitol Records discon discontinued the Beach Boys catalog. Wow. They put them out of print. Wow. Okay? And that deleted you know, the entire catalog and cut off the royalty flow that was coming in. Pretty shitty move. Okay. Yeah. That's um, good. Yeah. Now the ensuing lawsuit ruled in Capital's favor, so they he never got the money that he was owed for for prior royalties that he thought he was owed. Um, and Capital Records also in the lawsuit acquired the rights to all the post nineteen sixty five catalog. All right. So. You know, probably from uh, Beach Boys today going forward. Okay, yeah. they had exclusive rights to. In That's August, in, um, the the official name of the Beach Boys catalog was called Sea of Tunes, Sea like Ocean of Tunes. Yeah, yeah. And true. that that catalog was sold by Capitol Records to Irving Almo Music for seven hundred thousand dollars over the years. That catalog has generated more than a hundred million dollars in publishing royalties, none wow. of which, none of which the band ever got. That's incredible. That sucks. Okay, oh, that, that just, talk about being raked over the coals. Okay, oh. I mean, like, no wonder he was losing his mind. You know what I'm saying? It's, so he needed more to buy more acid. I. Yeah, but I mean, they, they all those songs, they didn't they they didn't get any royalties for anymore. They lost control of it. I find and that yeah, I mean, Brian to this day has said it's like you know it was a tragedy. Okay, now, uh, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna re I think we're gonna revisit maybe next year the the, the later periods of the Beach Boys going from the seventies on. Uh, there yeah. is some interesting stuff in there. Uh, a lot of drugs. A lot of getting lumped up. Uh, Brian would lose interest with the band for a while, but they would continue on with Mike Love and and yeah. uh, you know Dennis Wilson passes away. Carl Wilson passes away eventually. Uh, 
a lot happens, and I think we'll we'll revisit it later on. But in, you know, in nineteen seventy, Reprise Records picks them up, and they would have a whole second career with them. So wow. that's all I got for you today, Rob. Wow, what an action-packed super show, man! Almost ninety minutes of information. It's a long show. Yeah. Well, a lot of info, and I I think the Beach Boys, very important band. I think that you have to look at them. Um, as innovators, not just a little pop band. Okay. They, they, you know, they really did a lot for the scene. Brian Wilson, you know, gets the credit these days. He's recognized as a genius. Yeah, he is recognized. He's a genius, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. They've, they've, uh, they've come back. Brian, I think in 2012 had, had did some shows with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Supposedly he was a lot better. Uh, he became, he was a recluse for many, many, many years. Just uh, there's those stories where he was doing acid and sleeping in a litter box. <laughs> he had, a, yeah, he had like a giant room of sand that he would. I he guess he thought it was the, maybe he thought it was the beach, not a litter box. I don't know, but <laughs> maybe <laughs> he had a couple he was of cats. If you had a couple of cats around, it would be a litter box. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was doing his best impression of Scrooge McDuck swimming in the pool with all the money in <laughs> <going> the sand. <laughs> acid. Ah. Yeah. Oh man, now definitely a musical genius. Yeah, definitely. You, you, you. You know what? All to be a musical genius, you gotta be fucked up. Any kind of genius, I think you have a screw you know? somewhere. Yeah. All right, Mike. Thank you for all the information. How can we reach you if we need to get in touch with you? Okay, usual social media places. You can find me on Instagram, RockerMike212. You can find me on Clout Hub and MeWe under Rocker Mike. You can find me on Facebook under Rocko Mike, Rocko Mike. And of course, the Rock Show Podcast group page on Facebook. How about you, Rob? You can find me on any social media getting lumped up. If you look getting lumped up, you see the links to our shows, to, um, uh, Instagram, uh, uh, Twitter, uh, YouTube show. So just look, getting lumped up with Rob Rossi. We're all over the place. We're on Spotify, on our radio, Pandora, um, Apple Music, Google uh, Podcasts. So we're all over the place. So if you guys want to um, find us, um, just go on the interweb and you will put on Getting Lumped Up and we'll pop in right away. We'll pop up. And we'll uh, we pop up. we got yep. another huge show. We're doing um Buddy Hardy. What you got for us for that? I need a yeah, preview? that's gonna be that's gonna be that's gonna be a good show too. Uh Buddy Holly's one of my all time favorites. Um you know, I'm gonna put it all together. Tragic ending to his life. We'll talk about how that yeah, happened. It will yep. end with a crash. Did <laughs> 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 I But I think it'll be good. Yep, it will be good. Um, I want to mention to people to please, if you're on the Rock Show podcast group page, uh, write on the comments anywhere or private message me about uh, any suggestions you might have for a couple of shows going into next year. I want to put yeah. four shows together that are you guys' requests. We did this last yeah. year. It was very successful. I'm going to put some information on it off and on on the group page. Feel free to private message me. Just say, hey, Mike, why don't you do a show on 
whatever, and we'll take it all into consideration. Um, yeah, also, if there's anybody out there, uh, we're looking for sponsors. If anybody yep. out there has something you want to, uh, you know, promote, um, let us know. We're working. We need some sponsors to keep this show going. Uh, we yeah. want to make it even bigger and better. And we need sponsors. Contact yeah. me or Rob. <laughs> yeah, contact me or Rob. Uh, any emails. All right, guys. So this is the end of another fantastic show. It was the Beach Boys. And um, what we do in this show better than anything, we don't get drunk. We, we get, get lumped, lumped up. <laughs> Take care, people. Have a good one. Podcast you will hear that will be music to your ears. You'll learn about bands you love or may not know, and it's only here on the rock show. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.